Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I welcome you today. We're going to have a great show talking about the joy in dementia. And I know a lot of people think that that's a, a tough road to hoe, but I think you're going to find after uh, talking with our guest today that it is possible. I know I've, I've lived it and breathed it on my 30-year journey with my mom, and I, I fully, fully accept the possibility and the joy that's there. But before I introduce our guest today, I always like to welcome everyone to Alzheimer Speaks Radio because we are always getting new listeners around the world. So um, bottom line, this show was created and Alzheimer Speaks as a whole was created because, because of my journey with my mom. As a family member, I just felt really lost and isolated and felt there had to be more resources out there for all of us. I knew there had to be others like my family. And so Alzheimer Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort around the world. And we do that by raising everyone's voice. So all of you are welcome to join in. You can always call in to our guest line at 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. And if you have a comment or if you um, just want to ask a question, uh, we, we would love to hear from you. We, um, we like to talk with everyone, those living with dementia, family members, supporting them, and friends, along with business professionals, researchers, advocates, because we believe it takes all of us to work together on this. Alzheimer Speaks also helps companies expand their own brand footprint by leveraging our platforms, which we have many of. The radio show is just one. We have uh, a YouTube channel that has um, a multitude of anything from training videos to little snippets to what we call dementia chats, where I interview people with dementia. And they talk about um, different topics and how they would like to see the world interact and engage with those um, that have dementia. And so we also have a blog and a website. So feel free to go to Alzheimer's Speaks and check all of those out and um, help yourself to free tools and services that we provide. And if you're a business um, wanting to kind of tap into this market, please connect with me. You can just go to the contact button or Email me at lori, L-O-R-I, at alzheimerspeaks.com, and I would love to talk to you. I also have to thank our community at Alzheimer's Speaks because you guys are so loyal and so wonderful. You see your likes, your clicks, your shares. I know you don't think that they do a lot, but they, they are so powerful. You have gotten us recognized by Oprah, Maria Shriver, Dr. Oz, and And actually, tomorrow I'm going to get an award um, by AARP for being an inspiring leader and a disruptor for the world of dementia. And, you know, I all of those accolades and and, um, awards I share with all of you because I don't believe any of us do any of this work alone. So thank you so much. And I hope you continue to share our information with your sphere of influence because you are powerful and you have people in need out there. Again, remember, if you'd like to join the conversation, you can easily do that by calling 323-870-4602. That's 323-870-4602. Let me go ahead and introduce um, our first guest. Um, Susan Massad is a retired primary care physician educator who is on the faculty of the Eastside Institute, known as ESI, um, out in New York. She has had a career 
with a long interest in exploring the experience of illness for all involved, patients, family, friends, and providers. And with colleagues from um, ESI, she developed and co-leads workshops called The Joy of Dementia. You've got to be kidding. So I just want to welcome you to the show, Susan. How are you doing today? Um, I'm doing fine. <laughs> Thank you for the nice introduction and for having well, us on the show. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I'm excited to have you both with us. Let me go ahead and pull Mary in next. Um, Mary Fridley is on the faculty of the Eastside Institute, where she has practiced therapy for 12 years and continues to use the social therapeutic approach as a teacher and workshop leader. Mary co-created and leads two popular workshop series, Laughing Matters and the Joy of Dementia. Um, Both are for seniors and others across, uh, and she does this across the country. She's also a playwright and a theater director and works as a fundraising consultant with New York City nonprofit. So welcome, Mary. Thank you very much, and congratulations on your newest award. Um, it is always, always, always wonderful to meet fellow disruptors. <laughs> yep, it, it is. It is fun. That's for sure. Yes, it and is there, fun. There are and very much so necessary, many. given the world we're living in. <laughs> Exactly. There are, there are so many of us out there, too, um, which is just uh, just such a, pl- a privilege always to, to be able to meet everyone. Now, before we get started, I always like to ask everybody um, one simple question. I'm going to throw this to uh, hmm. Susan first, and that is, have you been personally touched in your sphere or family um, by dementia? Um, yes, and I, I was thinking about how did I get into this field or become more interested, and a lot, like everybody else I've met in the field, it's my own personal experience. My older sister is diagnosed with dementia and uh, lives on a coast away from me, but I'm very, very involved in her care and how she, you know, and and kind of trying to mobilize resources in to support her to continue to live a full life and um and also from my professional interests but many of my patients were friends as it turned out and as they got older some people got dementia or became you know diagnosed with dementia or had family care you know family members so it's both yeah okay great and mary how about you um were you touched within your family or circle of friends I, I have been. Um, my mom um, passed away, well, it's almost a year ago. We're about a week or so um, from it being a year uh, since she, she died. Uh, and really, I guess you could say she died of, of complications from late-stage dementia. Um, it came it came about fairly quickly, uh, and it really was for the and, – and although, I mean, I, I suspect she was – declining in ways that I probably didn't see or didn't want to see. But the last year was, you know, it was just a fairly um, rapid decline. And as I said, she, that's, you know, it's really why and how she ultimately passed away. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, this first question I'm going to throw to you, Mary, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, in, no your, in your introduction and in your writings, you know, you talk quite a bit about development, which is not a word that people generally use when they're talking about, you know, relationships and dementia. Can Mm -hmm. you say a little bit more about what you mean by development and how people, how that can help people um, move forward, I guess? Sure. Well, I mean, uh, as some of some of the listeners may know, I, I won't go into incredible detail. There's obviously much, much, much that has been written about this. But um, uh, most people are familiar with the work of, of Piaget uh, and his understanding um, that human beings grow uh, and develop in stages, and they're fairly stagnant stages. So. And the, I think the underlying, oh, well, actually, I don't even think it's underlying. I think the explicit message is that once you've reached particularly adulthood, then there's not a lot more qualitative growth or development that's possible. 
so it's fairly linear. And it's it, and, and I think it serves to reinforce um, the notion that we all have, put in simple terms, that in some sense we become who we are. We become overly identified uh, with certain roles, with certain identities, with certain responsibilities. And But we have a, a sense of this is who I am. But that also is very quickly followed by this is what I can do and what I can't do. And I think particularly for adults, unlike very young children, the limitations of those roles are, are I think, incredibly constraining and, in our view, counterproductive to people being able to create and recreate their lives um, in the ways that would make them happy, more fulfilled, uh, more successful, um, just more in ways that they want to to see their lives going, but that can be very hard. Um, it can be very frightening, all of that. So in some sense, I think for the Institute and for the work that we've been doing, uh, not only here in the U.S., but internationally, is I think creating for us, put simply, development is the capacity that we all have as human beings to, to create and recreate our lives, that we can grow and develop, that we can do new kinds of things, we can create new possibilities in our lives, um, over and over and over again, no matter how old we are and no matter our life circumstances. And that's very important because I think that one of the things that I find just so painful and so upsetting about the ways that people living with dementia are related to is as people who no longer have that capacity. They can't learn. They can't develop. They can't adjust anything new. They have nothing to offer. Life is over. And I've, I am deeply, deeply offended by that, um, which is, again, to, to kind of echo what Susan was saying, it's no small part of why I feel so passionate about bringing this conversation into the dementia arena. At the same time, I think what we're concerned to do, and, and Susan can say more about this and we'll obviously elaborate it as we go along, but that we're also, in our work and in creating these workshops, The Joy of Dementia, that you um, spoke about, that what we want to be doing is creating environments in which everyone involved in what we call the dementia ensemble, to use theater language, um, is growing and developing. Because in my personal view, and this is based both on my personal experience with my mom, having been a therapist for many years, I lead groups, and I'm just a human being who is in the world and and fairly sensitive to this. Um, I think that uh, we are not – we need to develop and develop some new muscles, if you will, in order to be to be, as I think, giving as we need to be to people living with dementia. So I think we're very constrained about what we're able to do because – I think, honestly, dementia upends everything. Like, I think the experience that I had and, and people have is all of a sudden your world is turned upside down. That not only this person is no longer, if you will, making sense in the same way, but I think the real experience, and I think a source of the frustration and pain is that we don't have what we need to be able to enter in that world as fully and as positively as we can. Um, so I think we need to grow. We need to develop. We need to, to develop some new tools and, as I said, kind of exercise our emotional and social muscles in ways that we, by and large, don't have to do as adults. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with you. And I think a lot of what we need is just to change our perceptions and our beliefs because we have been told for years and years and years um, these people can't do anything. You know, everyone, you know, thinks they're in end stages and can't communicate. And um, there's there's so many gifts that they that they can give us in this process. Um, Susan, do you have anything that you'd like to add um, in terms of, using that word development in working with people with dementia? 
Yes, I, I, I think that what Mary touched on the ensemble, but I, I just from a, a you know practitioner, for many years of health and healing, I guess I would call it. Uh, your, your number one. I didn't know the word development until forty years later, and after I was forty years into the practice, and said, "Oh, I'm learning something about what I would been trying to do for a very long time." which is to support my patients, no matter what their problems were, but chronic illness, particularly where you get put into a role of, you know, cancer victim, cancer survivor, diabetic. (laughs) And, and how do you kind of create something other than that? How do you, which I would now call develop, how do you develop, given that you have a serious illness, that became something I became very interested in. And you come right up against the medical model, which is one of the more, to me, one of the more pernicious elements, which of of our 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 understanding of what dementia is, Alzheimer's is, which is to say it's this. We know it. It's a disease, you know, and it, and we know all about it because we can study it. We can abstract it. We can study it. But that model really takes it out of the you know, uniqueness of the individual and the human being who's experiencing memory loss. And it basically disempowers the patient because it doesn't include everything they know about their illness, what they've learned, their own resources. So that's kind of where I was starting within this. And then when I began to become more involved with people with Alzheimer's and dementia and became more involved in the whole field and the reading, it became even more, that model has very, very little relevance or is very unhelpful, I think, when you apply it to a condition that is so idiosyncratic, that is so ever-changing and emergent and nonlinear and, and uh, multifactorial. Uh, to um, as dementia, but also the individual bias of the medical model, which sees it as the person who has its condition, and that's where I think we started begin to work at the 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 dementia ensemble, because the caregivers, the family members, the professionals, the person who has memory loss, are have all have a dementia experience and the dementia experience for the person that is involved in that ensemble, whether they have the diagnosis or not can be as profound and life changing as the experience of the person who's diagnosed. And I think that's what we're talking about. Some new tools is how do we work with the ensemble? How do we build with that particular uh, unit and where in a way that everybody can develop and grow? And I think that's the oh. challenge. <laughs> yeah, and I and I love you know what you said you know about about the medical model and the individuality mm-hmm. of this disease. And yet, mm-hmm. I look at dementia, and you know I don't see it as a disease of one. I see it as a disease of society, one that oh, we need absolutely. the major cultural um, awareness and changes being made to. Um, Dr. Stephen Post, I love one of the things that he talks about, and he talks about us. No one being disabled, we're all just differently abled in appreciating the fact that none of us started out of the factory just the same anyway. So why are we trying to mold everybody into this one perfect little model where we've never been that? Never. And mm-hmm. um, and really appreciating what skills people have at different points of their life, which are constantly changing. And so to me, it really is about adapting to another stage in life and understanding that um, you, no matter who you are, you are more than a diagnosis. You are always a, a human being and a person first, and your disease should take second stage to your life. Mm-hmm. Um, it needs mm-hmm. to be supported and incorporated in it, but um, nobody wants to be called a disease or looked at as that's all they are. And um, mm-hmm. it amazes me how much that happens in our world mm-hmm. that we, because it's easy to categorize people. Um, one of the things, Susan, I wanted to ask you was if you can say a little bit more about you know, play and improvisation and and how can that help people dealing with dementia on both sides, Mm -hmm. those diagnosed and those caring for them? 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's enormously in the dementia arena at play and perform, and the and the arts are are, are just particularly effective in supporting and methodologically as a as a as a tool, if you want to call it, for people to use to develop and grow. So in going out into the world and meeting others who we found that we're not the only ones who are who are, are interested in the art working with the arts and play and performance that there's a number of people that are doing that, which was just very gratifying. And um have both from our own work at the Eastside Institute around development and kind of exploring the role of play and performance to be able to as a as a as an approach to helping people both be who they are we say and be who they're becoming to be to be able to do things that they don't know how to do and that's the the kind of our understanding that we've developed at the the Eastside Institute that performance is just a very very an improv being a form of performance just a very very powerful way to support people to so we say go on, go beyond themselves. It's a, it's a tool we have, and how to use that in the dementia arena. And you know, some of the people that we've met, like Karen Stulby, many people I think know her work now. She was an actress. She and her husband are both in the in performers. And her mother, I think, developed dementia, and she began to kind of just play with her and do and just kind of discovered that it, what. What that looked like, though, and what tools she was using when she was doing it were what tools of good improvisation, uh, which is to be supportive, to be accepting, to uh, support the other in the conversation, to not negate into many of that kind of kind of rules, as it were, or principles of improv were very, very useful for being in the moment, to be able to create a relation. I, I can't just, I don't want to just put conversation, but to begin to develop a different kind of relationship based on what her mother's now changing uh, condition, how it affected her language and her short-term memory and some of the other things that we know of that are part of the dementia experience. So, uh, and there's, other people that I think are just doing very creative work and writing around this, like I, many people know Ann Davis Bassing's work, uh, where mm-hmm. she, you know, has she's she's a she's used theater, the arts, and writes about it very very eloquently about the just importance of the relationship relationality that's being built as as people engage in these projects that doesn't um, depend on memory. And I love her. She wrote a book called Forget Memory, which I think sort of deconstructs how, you know, how overly reliant we are on cognition and under-reliant on feeling and, and emotive activity, subjective activity. Mm-hmm. Very true. I, I, um, mm-hmm. I love how, in you know, you had mentioned about play and arts are, are really a tool and, you know, the mm-hmm. development and the ability to grow and have fun and engage. And, you know, art has always been said to be in the, the eyes of the beholder. And so, again, it gets back to our perceptions of what is beautiful, what is creative, what and, and if we can switch that to there is no wrong, there is just a, mm-hmm. a right way, you know, when you're in the land of dementia, um, it's very freeing and it's contagious in your outer world, you know, outside of dementia, mm-hmm. too. It makes life much easier. Um, so <laughs> when you're not as judging and you know, you're open right. to more things and, um, you know, being in the moment. And uh, like, there's just so many cool things that are, are happening with that. I'm going to pull in Mary and see if she wants to add anything um, to our conversation about play and improv. Yeah, I was, uh, can you hear me? Yep. Okay. I was just, um, I actually wanted to go back to what you were saying um, earlier about you know, and very kindly agreeing with what we were saying, but saying, you know, you think that it's it's a um, 
a matter of, and it's important to be able to change your perspective mm-hmm. on how you're seeing dementia, who human beings are. And I think for us, we would completely 100% agree, um, obviously. And I think for us, the important question is, and a question that I think is not asked often enough, um, in part because I think it's a question that we need to be asking 24 hours a day in some ways, but how are we going to do that? How are we as individuals? How are we as a community? How are we a world? going to be able to see in new ways um, because that's it's just simply not easy um, nor do I think it's just a matter of individualistic willpower I think we have to one do it together but two I think we have to really grapple with what what do we have to do uh, to be able to do something new have a new conversation touch someone in a in a different way to and for us, and this is where, kind of coming back to what Susan was saying, for us, this is where play and performance and improvisation are so important um, because it, I think with play and performance, it allows you to, uh, well, uh, I'm just going to, it allows you to move about and around, if you will, the problem in very new and creative ways. That and I say problem with a small p. I'm not, but and it allows you to not be so paralyzed by thinking that you know your uh, that your options are limited um, and that they're and that you don't you know that it's impossible to do something that you have no idea how it is you're going to do. And I think the to Susan's point, I think it is so important in the dimension experience and in life for us to be able to have the support and the kind of environments that allow us to take the risk of doing something and run the risk of looking completely ridiculous. Um, so I, I had written a um, a piece for that was just published in Changing Aging in which I was talking some about the weirdness of dementia off of a conversation, a workshop that Susan and I had led in California where one of the women who had just been diagnosed with dementia said very poignantly, kind of, what can I say? This is just weird. And I'm advocating, and I think in our work, Susan and I are advocating, if you will, for people to learn how to be much weirder and then to have the support for dealing with all that comes with that. Because, again, it's not easy to do. But I think one of the things that I was proposing and feel very strongly about is I think the key is in in all of this is not so much to be weird, but to perform as weird, to really make a self-conscious effort to be someone you're not, <laughs> to be able to be with a person whose cognitive skills have diminished, who may or may not be able to speak or or do language in the ways that we're familiar with. So you might have to babble. You might have to draw upon your capacity to to entertain and be a part of fantasy. Um, like all think, kinds of things go on. And that's hard. Uh, and again, I think it, it underlies a lot of the frustration and anger the family members, caregivers, etc., you know, often feel. Yeah, I would I would agree with with what you're saying in terms of being weird. I think um I think we have to learn to embrace being different because we have been molded to be the same or be a, a you know a you know a certain way through commercials, you know, through our own cultures, through our own family beliefs, all of that that we are supposed to be a certain way. And I think if we can if we can start to and I think we're starting to see this shift now in our culture all around the world where people are starting to stand stronger, you know, in their own shoes going, this is me. This is the way I like it. <laughs> you know, this is yeah. the way I am. And with dementia, somebody might not like everything about the disease, needless to say, but they sure as heck shouldn't be ashamed of having a disease. And so um, 
you know, one of the things that, that you and Susan talked about in terms of, you know, how do we how do we reach people? You know, this isn't an easy thing to change. For me, what I have found is I use something when I speak and train, which I call emotional-based training. And I think it's about we need people to feel that they can make a difference. And I think we've lost our our knowledge of knowing that we have a power of one and that we can have an impact not only on ourselves, but on everyone around us, if we know them or not, just by our nonverbals. We don't even have to get into a conversation, um, but becoming more aware of how we react and how we think. And then I think we also have to provide more safe places like your trainings and um memory cafes and support groups and just even being out in the community where people feel safe to be who they are, to, to be able to make a mistake in terms of societal, you know, righteousness one way or another, because knowing that none of us are perfect. And then um, another thing that I think helped helped me and, and many others that I work with was shifting what was important. And that was getting out of this right or wrong kind of corrective model of care and switching to more of a compassionate care, which was really about, are they safe? Are they happy? Are they pain free? Because if they're comfortable, I can be comfortable. If they're anxious, I'm going to be anxious. And, you know, a, a lot of times when we're embarrassed or uncomfortable with a situation, they're going to model that back to us, which I'm sure you see all the time in what you're doing. But if we're playful and in a good mood, they're going to be there too. And, uh, again, we play off one another's um, moods and nonverbals, which I think is, is absolutely huge. And I, I, I love... You know, I tell people one of the biggest gifts my mom gave me was was her dementia and being on the journey with her because she actually taught me to play again. Because as an adult, we get so serious. We take ourselves overly serious. We think the world's going to stop, you know, if I don't answer my phone, if I don't check this email. And I had to be present with her. I had to put that down. And that was one of the biggest gifts she gave me was to just say, spend time with me. You don't even necessarily have to talk. Just sit by me. Just be in my presence. And how how rich that is. But I think our world has gotten so fast paced that we've, you know, we've forgotten about the importance of our of our true relationships. Um Susan, I'm gonna throw this one um to you and then I'll I'll throw it back to to Mary. Um you guys lead a conversation called um called the joy of dementia can you say a little bit more about that and and why the focus on on joy when so many don't believe that's even possible (laughs) (laughs) well i i think just in terms of what do you mean by joy (laughs) which is i think a lot of people have a preconceived notion of what well it's a thing, you know, it's mm-hmm. the thing we discover, the joy inside of something. And, you know, there's a lot of things about dementia that is not not um, pleasant, something you wouldn't want, like, you know, from your short-term memory loss to the loss of your independence in the traditional forms like a driver's license or the right to live alone or your home that you had. And, you know, to us, I think what is joyful is discovering the relational, that it's the creative building together with the other, and in this case, the others, because I think they, I don't want to lose sight of the, the whole dementia ensemble. And continuously looking at how can we do this task of building our relationships together, given that if we've had some, you know, profound changes in terms of, languaging, of short-term memory, of um, mobility sometimes. So that that's a, that the be able to sort of improvise to me is, or to create something new with all of that, um, I find a very joyful and experience because it's, it's creatively building an our relationships together. And, um, you know, so one of the things we, we, we do in the workshops is give people an experience of improv with some games and exercises. And um, we show, you know, some video clips that we think really show people's 
as you say, what you learned with your mother, that kind of experience where people are actually creating a, 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 a different a, a relationship. They're figuring out how to do this together. Uh, and, um, you know, I think it's where we focus our gaze in some ways on the relationship. And there's many of these things that still need, we still have to be attentive to that we don't want, that I wouldn't want to deny with this, which is, you know, a big one is safety, the safety issue. Mm-hmm. And people will raise that. Well, what about safety? You know, you have to be more firm about that or coercive or put your foot down. <laughs> and um, I think that we can discover how to be safe together that it's not it's not a it's not a you know something you can impose what is safety where what's the limits where can you go with this so it's something that you you build together and i think that could be very joyful yeah and you build with a lot of pain and loss and despair and we call it building with crap <laughs> it's mm-hmm. the hard stuff yeah it's not it's not as i say just sort of extracting some concept of joy and putting it in Mm-hmm. Yeah, there definitely is the grieving process. And I think a lot of what, we, what we've what we always focused on with dementia is the loss. But with loss, there mm-hmm. are gains, too. You know, there's, there's, there's the loss of our filters. There's the loss of judging others that eventually comes, which is, those are both really freeing things, you know, um, that, that can be really nice. The, the loss of pressure once you don't have the element of time anymore Mm -hmm. you know in your life but we don't we don't focus on those things as how could they be positive Um, well it seems to me that the the, there's a a lot of assumptions in the field when people are working with people with who have the diagnosis that that they must feel terrible they've they've lost their short-term memory that's not necessarily true, <laughs> but, you know, it's also just even exploring the concept of loss or what that means to people or that the experience of no longer being the person, quotes, that you were, as it were. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I think that, that the process of discovering each other, a different kind of relationality involves just being open to the other in a way that is... I find I think can be very joyful, and yeah. kind of not to make assumptions that the other is feeling exactly like you do. Yep, yeah, that that's very true. I think that there's a lot of that that happens, and and being open to some of the detours. I know some of the the detours that I hated that happened in my life were probably some of the best things that ever happened to me because they took me down a different path they didn't even know existed and opened my eyes. And, you know, so there can be some real beauty there. I think we've got a caller. So let me just double check here. We've got uh, somebody from a 740 number uh, or 704 number. Did you want to make a comment? Uh, Yeah, Lori, this is Julie Bacon from Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, hi. I, was, uh, I um, have the Joyfield Visits Kit that you and I have talked about um, earlier in the year, um, and I'm just so excited to hear this conversation. And just the uh, the tools that we can all provide to family caregivers and professional caregivers that can bring joy into this into these moments. I just think it's wonderful. Well, great. Thank you. Thank you for calling in. And you've got a um, a great kit. Do you want to just uh, go ahead and give out your website and uh, people can check into to your uh, your kit and, and how that might be able to bring people joy? Uh, sure. It's uh, Joyfield Visits, um, www.joyfieldvisits.com. I just think the more joy we can teach people is just um, really so beneficial not only to the person who's living with dementia but also the families who are just struggling to know how do I have a visit how do I bring joy into this process so I'm just glad to hear other folks that are doing the same thing it's awesome wonderful well thank you so much for calling in Julie appreciate it and uh, she's in the process of writing a new book too which will be out so we'll let you know when that comes out but thank you for calling in and, and adding to the show um, Mary, I'm going to go ahead and um, pull you in. And um, 
what are your is there anything more that you would like to say regarding the joy of dementia that that maybe Susan and I didn't cover? Well, one of the joys I was thinking about is it is just so joyous to meet um, other people who are who love joy. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you know, because part of this is that, of course, as always, um, you know, people often who are doing different kinds of things, working outside the box, whatever, often feel like we're doing it alone. Um, mm-hmm. So it's both wonderful that there's, a, I think, a much broader community of people out there who may be doing it on their own, maybe doing it as part of organizations, but are really trying to come up with infinitely more human ways um, to to live both in the world and, and within the dementia experience. But the other thing, I was thinking about something you were saying, which I, I one, I really just want to echo what you said about we, and particularly we as adults, take ourselves way too seriously. Um, mm-hmm. And part of that is because we're not supported to play, we forget, we forget how to play, we have attitudes toward playing, whatever that is, but we're not allowed to play in ways that I think are potentially transformative. Um, so for me, the joy of these workshops, in addition to what Susan was saying, is that we really are, and it's mostly adults, but we really are helping people to rediscover that they are, in fact, creative people. Um, And I was struck by, I was reading your website um, prior to the interview, and I was very touched by, one, just how wonderfully humane and humanistic you are, both with your mom and just generally um, in addressing, you know, all that's, that's going on within dementia. But also you were talking about, or somebody was saying about you, I don't quite remember, that you're very concerned with giving voice to those whose voices have been silent, um, which very much resonates for me. And obviously that's one of the things I've been doing for many years as an activist, as an organizer, as a therapist, as a human being, is to to give, help people express themselves in ways that I think they find difficult. But I think one of the things that has been silenced, which is I, I feel very deeply about, is our creativity, that I think we live in a culture where, sadly, the only people who really get to perform and play and take on new roles and new performances are people who are socially sanctioned to do so, i.e. the actors on stage or the musicians on stage. And I think what Susan and I are doing is creating, if you will, stages, um, which for people to kind of reconnect with, rediscover together that, no, actually human beings are enormously creative. We create everything. That our our humanity is not, is not, in our view, tied to our ability to know or to think or to reason or to understand, but in our capacity to create. So really to have people be able to... Um, create together, create something new together. Um, And in a way, I don't even think we care so much about what they create, but that they're discovering that they can create and that they could do something new at any moment in their lives. And just kind of in closing, I'm thinking about just how important that is because we live in an increasingly, I don't know, I was just watching the news again this morning and thinking, (laughs) man, we live in a crazy world. It's a... It's a world that I think more and more of us are finding frightening. It's unstable. It's chaotic. It's, I think people feel profoundly insecure, and mostly we don't know what the heck to do about it all. But I think that the pull when you're in, and I think people in some sense in the dementia experience feel that. It's, again, it upends everything we thought we knew. Um, but I think the pull it's without support and kind of left to our own devices, if you will. I think the pull is to try to control and contain things. And I think we are very strongly saying we understand that and we want to support you to have, if you will, creativity be your go-to. Um, it, it, your go-to position. That, in fact, it's a it's a moment of of I think that can create great fear and anxiety, but it's also a moment that much like dementia 
really is giving us a lot of license to do things we never knew were possible and to be enormous creative, and that's what's happening around the world. Um, and that's what I find so touching about your work, because I think you're saying, no, we're not going to be confined by the ways we know how to do this or the things that we were taught about what aging means or what memory loss means or whatever it, whatever it is to be human. Um, and that's that, to me, is truly, truly joyous. Yeah. Well, you know, for me, when I switched careers, which was almost 10 years ago, um, I said I wouldn't, I, I refused to work in a broken system. And so I had to be an entrepreneur. I had to work by myself because I couldn't follow the rules because I knew they weren't effective to so so many. And when you talk about, you know, silencing, you know, our, our creative abilities or our belief that we even have something to give, um, you know, to me, it's about not being part of that cookie cutter process, believing that we have something to contribute, that we can improve it. it it's, it's a, and to me, you know, I've tossed the word out perfection because I see so many people get stuck in the mud trying to be perfect instead of just making yeah. a little bit of progress every day. I agree. No, knowing that in the next moment you have a little bit more that you you can do and you can you can do it different. If you make a mistake, don't beat yourself up. Use it as a learning tool. But we've been taught so many things in my mind so wrong, you know, yes. that has gotten us stuck in the mud. And even when it comes to to joy, believing that you can have a life filled with joy, even if you don't have a lot of money and you maybe are unemployed or or maybe you're diagnosed with dementia, there's still joy in the world, but you're only going to find it if you're looking for it. And so, you know, I talk about the fears, the tears, and the joy. And, you know, the, the fear is usually what's coming in our future. The tears are everything we feel we lost. And the joy is in the moment we have in front of us. And if we aren't present, and not that we don't have to plan ahead and not that we don't have to grieve loss, but if we can if we can learn to consciously care and know where we're spending our time, we can be more present in the moment because the moment is the only place we can identify joy or create it. That's the only opportunity. And when you when you consciously understand that, choices become simpler in terms of what do you want out of life and what are you going to look for, you know, in life. And and, and that's what I love about about your program. I'm going to um, throw this back to Susan and just um, Susan, if you can tell us a little bit about how people can learn more about um, your program, you know, the joy of dementia and mm-hmm. um, more information about um, the Eastside Institute, that would be wonderful. Well, we have the website. which <laughs> uh, has all our programs, including the uh Joy of Dementia, but I, people can also contact Mary and I, who and I can give you our our um, uh, emails because we are interested in, uh, and I want to really thank you for <laughs> asking the question. We really are t- interested in bringing the Joy of Dementia workshops out to new audiences, new places. Uh, we've we just got a small grant to do five. Uh, workshops next year in poor communities in in um, New York City because these are communities that often don't get the creative cutting edge approaches they generally are, are are kind of passed over when it comes to that kind of thing so we're very thrilled about that but we'd love to take it to travel to go places and, and bring it to new to new audiences because I think it's a very unique experience for people just from the vantage point as we bring together um, people who don't normally sit in a room and have a conversation, which is care partners and professionals and people with dementia and people who are concerned that they might have some kind of memory loss to family members and to create the conversation with that, that mix. So our uh, website is www.eastsideinstitute.org. And our um, I my uh, email is susan s u s a n m a s s a d thirty eight at gmail dot com. And Mary, give yours. 
Oh, let me get Mary live on the. Okay, Hi, Mary. Uh, yes. <laughs> My email is M as in Mary Fridley, F R I D as in David, L E Y, at eastsideinstitute.org. Um, and if I could, just to build on what um, mm-hmm. Susan was saying, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, what we've been doing at the Institute over the last, oh, 40 years now is, you know, going out around the world and around the country and around New York City and wherever wherever there are people to really find innovators who have, you know, radical ideas, practices, and, you know, bringing them into conversation with each other uh, and, you know, with us, uh, and to really give people um, what they need to develop as innovators uh, in their fields and their communities, because, that's, again, that's often something people feel very alone doing. And just to, to highlight a couple of things that I think are pretty special, one is we, we in fact, we've just finished it. We co-host an um, international conference called Performing the World. Uh, it's every two years. It just took place in New York last month. And it, you know, brings together 400, 500 um, activists, advocates, academics, uh, ordinary people who in some form or fashion have discovered the power of creativity a play, a performance, and are using it in their work. And it's very diverse work and in many, many communities. I think we had people from about 30 countries. Um, And some of those are also participating in what we call the international class, which is our flagship program, which, you know, brings, uh, it gives people an opportunity to study this approach, this performance approach that Susan and I have been talking about um, to again, to grow, to develop um, as innovators, as leaders, as people who, you know, recognize that performance and play have an important role to play if we're going to change our world for the good. Um, so we definitely invite people to to study with us. And, as, again, just to reiterate what Susan was saying, we would love to, to come out and, you know, and, and visit and work with as many organizations, colleagues around the country and around the world as possible. Wonderful. I know one other area I think that's in great need is rural areas. Um, yes. You know, if, if you have mm-hmm. an opportunity, because uh, a lot of times they just don't have the funds, but for grant writing, that might be another mm-hmm. another target for you on that. Um, I wanted to ask, how long is your program? Is it a couple hours? Is it day long? Um Mary, if you want to go ahead and answer that. Um, it varies. I mean, I think it's we've done them anywhere from, I mean, it depends in part on the setting and the and the people involved. But it could be anywhere from um, an hour and a half to four hours. And obviously, you know, a lot we design the trainings, or it's a, not the training, sorry, the, the workshops um, with the people with whom we're doing them. So, again, that we could do longer or shorter things. But that's generally speaking how long they are. Okay, great. And then, mm-hmm. um, Susan, do you guys have a newsletter that people can sign up for to to be able to hear about, like, your conference and your programs, where they're going to be? And I, I, We, we have a, a, a very active website. We don't have – I don't think we have a newsletter. Um, we have an online um, – just – kind of a it's not exactly a newsletter it's a community news it's called but it just reports on there was a conference you know it's okay. a, a single thing so it's mostly the website where people can go and kind of read about what's coming up performing the world has its own website which was it's wonderful to read about because then you can just get a flavor of the, the kind of present workshops and presentations of which we have you know we I think we had about three or four on people kind of focused on new performances of dementia. Mm-hmm. And and just again, to add what Susan's saying, if, if you, mm-hmm. if you go to our website, um, eastsideinstitute.org, you can um, sign up and then you receive regular updates, information, e-blasts. So that's, as Susan was saying, that's really the best way to, mm-hmm. to know how, you know, what it is we're doing and when. Okay, and, if, and, and, again, if you, and or to contact us, and we'll be happy to keep you posted about particularly our mm-hmm. dementia-related activities. 
Okay. And so, again, the website is uh, eastsideinstitute.org. That's eastsideinstitute.org. And I've got Mary's um, email uh, on the um, the radio show, but I'll, I'll add Susan's on there. So um, we will get that updated. I did not have that earlier, but I really appreciate the work that the two of you are doing and um, spending this hour with us. Um, Susan, any last comments that you have? Uh, I just want to thank you again for having us on. And as Mary congratulated you for your disruptor award, I think it's great <laughs> that the AARP needs more disruptors. <laughs> and, um, you know, just uh, invite people to write us to stay in touch because I guess I would say I'm a dementia activist, a movement builder, and one of the things that gives me enormous joy is finding people who are on the same path as you are and just who are challenging the, you know, traditional narrative of loss. So I'd love to hear from people. Great. And Mary, any last comments from you? Uh, Well, I echo what Susan just said, and I just, like, just, I want to support everybody who's listening, who might be listening later to play, play, play. <laughs> yep. Yep. And and believe in the possibility of joy. You know, believe exactly. that it, it, it is there. It might look really different than what it used to, but it's still there. Um, and sometimes just paying a little closer attention to people's nonverbals, the glint in the eyes, the the body language, um, it, noises that people are making, um, all of that stuff adds up. And, the, you know, the power of music and the, the power of connection that we have um, at all levels, uh, no matter, you know, matter, no matter what's happening to our bodies, we still have abilities to connect in, in different forms than just our, our regular speech. And what I found with, with my mom was as she declined and as I got deeper into reading nonverbals or being more comfortable in the moment, those, those are the things that resonate with me now that she's gone. Those real simple little engagements bring me true joy. And, you know, it's not the big, the big fluff that I thought it used to be. Um, with that. So this has been a great, great conversation. Again, you can get more information by going to the eastsideinstitute.org. Uh, and um, in wrapping up, I'm just going to give a shout out. I'm excited. I'm heading out to um, Seattle and I'm also going to be in California next week. So if you are in either of those areas, you can um, Look on my website to find, we're doing a, a screening of the film, His Neighbor Phil, um, Monday, October 15th at the um, Strom Jew, uh, Jewish Community Center in uh, Mercer Island in Washington. And then we will be um, on the 16th, we're going to be in Seattle and Newcastle and Shoreline. Um, all in Washington, again, with Aegis Senior Living. And then I'll be going out to um, California. We'll be by Oceanside and Laguna, again, with Aegis. So please uh, please check us out. I'd love to meet you while I'm on the road. And then I would be amiss if I didn't give a shout-out to the Memory Cafe Directory, Com. There you can um, register your memory cafe or you can find one. Um, it is free calendar cards. Uh, the memory system is the one who created it, and it is by far the best uh, directory out there right now. We have over 500 memory cafes in the U.S., which is just spectacular. And if you're interested in dining opportunities, check out purpletables.com. They have a new app and training system to help restaurants get on board with becoming dementia-friendly. And they have more requests than they have uh, um, restaurants at this point. But that will all change. And then last, I'm just going to give a big shout-out to the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. They do a lot with meditation, very holistic. So if you're looking for diet, exercise, um, meditation um, techniques, they are the go-to place. And you can go to Alzheimer's 
www.prevention.org. You guys have a great week, and um, make sure you pass this on. People will love the information that you're willing to give them. Thank you so much. Bye now. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Way Showers who will help your journey a lot easier.